0: you have your Bibles turned to Second Samuel, uh, we're going to be looking at the end of chapter two. We're going to be looking at Second Samuel two verses eighteen to thirty-two. So give ear now. This is God's word. And the three sons of Zeruiah were there: Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was swift of foot; was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner. And as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, "'Is it you, Asahel?' And he answered, "'It is I.' Abner said to him, "'Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and seize one of the young men and take his spoil.' But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, "'Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground?' How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Ammah which lies before Gia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, as God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. And Abner and his men went all through that night through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants 19 men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. This is God's word. So I want to start by telling you what I was doing yesterday. I was in my backyard working, doing yard work. Um, There were a large number of tree trunks in the backyard, okay? And they needed to either be hauled away or used as firewood if we could get them, you know, small enough. And so I got my axe out, and I started to try and, and chop this wood, right? Have you ever done this? When was the last time you did this? This wood was so hard... That I would swing with all my might, you know, come down as fast as I could with that thing, and it would go in like that much. <laughs> and I'm making zero progress, and I'd hack and I'd hack and I'm making no progress. Nothing whatsoever. It was really, it was depressing. You know, because it was so much wood, it was really kind of a mess, and I didn't know what to do. And then I remembered, I have a wedge got a wedge a splitting wedge you ever seen these things you know there's these they're kind of like uh, levels you know where it's like a triangle three-dimensional triangle and and you drive it into wood and it splits the wood right you've seen these things so I got the wedge and my mini sledgehammer and I went to town it was awesome you know because I'd stick that thing in I'd drive it in I'd hammer with the sledgehammer driving in the trunk and it creates these little cracks you know all along the trunk Well, then I'd take the axe, and if I could come down, I didn't always get it right, but when I could come down with the axe and hit that crack, it was like a hot knife through butter. The trunks just fell apart. It was so easy uh, once I figured out how to use that wedge to get in there and split the wood. So I want you today to think about the relationships in your life as tree trunks. Okay? I want you to think about the relationships that you have. We're talking this year about growing gospel relationships. Okay? These are the relationships that, I mean, simply put, it's, it's your relationship with Christ, it's your relationship with others in the church, your relationships with folks who are outside the church in the world. Okay? And so I want you to think about those relationships that you have with Christ, with people in the church, with people outside the church, as trees. One of the biggest wedges that splits our relationships is deafness, deafness, the inability to hear, okay? Being relationally deaf, if you're either unwilling or unable to listen in your relationships, that's the tool, that's the wedge that splits our relationships. It causes conflict, it causes dissension, it causes bitterness, it causes problems in our relationship. And so this text actually shows us three people who are dealing with relational deafness. Okay, each one of these three folks, we're going to see them and we're also going to learn how to deal with this in our own lives. Okay, so if you want to take notes, I'll give you the points. First, Asahel is deafened by ambition. Second, Abner is deafened by hypocrisy. And then third, Joab is deafened by anger. Okay, so the deafness of ambition, hypocrisy, and anger. That's what we're going to look at today. That's what we're going to see. So, first, let's look at Asahel. Asahel was deafened by ambition. Let me just give you a little short intro if you don't remember what we talked about last week. This is the second half of a confrontation between Joab, the commander of David's army, and Abner, the commander of Ishbosheth's army. Okay, Ishbosheth with the son of Saul, Abner rejected God, rejected David, and set up Ishbosheth, one of Saul's sons, to be king. So you got two kings, two commanders, two armies, and Abner moved dangerously close, instigated a conflict, and this is the second half of that confrontation. Okay, if you want to hear about the first half, listen to the sermon from last week. Okay, so <clears throat> that conflict began with this 12-on-12 tournament, and it ended when Joab's army attacked. Okay, so they attacked, um, they brought the 12 verses 12 to death. Well, now in our passage, Joab attacks again, and Abner flees with his army. Okay, so Abner retreats, they run away, and Joab's army pursues, and they are led, Joab's army is led by Joab and his two brothers. Okay, look at verse 18. It says, the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Okay, and so it's interesting because as they chase after abner's army you kind of get this picture from the end of the story that they're encountering some of them and they're killing them right there's battles engaged as the army runs away some of the stragglers get caught by some of the front runners of joab's army they are cutting people down Um, and so the army joab's army is pursuing and as they chase after abner's army asahel is the fastest among the army okay he's the he's the sprinter Right, he's the Usain Bolt. Right, he's the maybe this is longer than a hundred yard dash, but he gets out in front. Verse eighteen, he is as swift of foot as a wild gazelle, and so he passes by many. We see because he's got his sights set on Abner. Verse nineteen, as Asahel pursued Abner, and as he went, he looked neither to the he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following after Abner. And so he's passing by other people who aren't as fast as Abner, right? Because he wants to kill Abner. That's his soul focused. And what happens here is that he's deafened by his ambition. Abner is the prize, okay? He is the prize of this battle. If Asahel can kill Abner, that's first prize. He gets all the glory. He gets all the fame. That's who Asahel wants. And so he's chasing after Abner. And what's interesting here is that we see in Asahel... A drive to fight, right? Who else did we see a drive to fight in last week? In Joab, that's right, right? And so it's interesting. Asahel probably Joab's younger brother, so he's probably developed this attitude, this fighting spirit from watching his older brother, following his older brother. Let's just stop there for a second. As an aside, this shows, I think, um, somewhat the power that disciplers have over the people they disciple. Okay, we're talking about discipleship and wanting to grow more to follow Jesus. And oftentimes what that takes is that takes you having someone in your life who can help you, right? Who seems to know maybe a little bit more than you or at least can help you stay on track. Um, But it also involves you helping others. Okay, you reaching out either to other folks who are in the same situation or similar situation, people that you just care about. Or folks that you're helping come along. They don't know as much as you do. And so you're teaching them, you're training them. Well, if you're helping someone else grow, if someone else is looking up to you, you need to be careful that they don't pick up your bad habits. Right? You need to be careful they don't pick up your weaknesses, your sins. Okay? Asahel is picking up one of the bad characteristics of Joab. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, in order to help somebody else grow, okay? Far be it, because then none of us would be helping anybody, right? You don't have to be perfect. That's not what I'm saying here. But the key is that you need to be open about your weaknesses, okay? That's how you bring those things together. You're not perfect, but you're trying to help somebody else. If you know about your weaknesses, you need to be honest about your weaknesses. And You need to be open with the person you're discipling about your weaknesses so that they know that you know there's stuff wrong in your life. If you identify those things in your life, then you're telling them, "Look, don't follow this in me. I'm hoping that Jesus is going to help me grow in this area. And until you know, and so as I'm struggling with this, please don't imitate this in me. You know, if Joab was able to see that this was a weakness in him, he could he could have told Asahel, "Look, I've got an anger problem. Okay, I know with my own kids, I'm I'm aware. I mean, it's awful because." sometimes you see them doing things, you're like, man. Like, first I get mad, then I go, wait a sec. They're doing this because they saw me do this. They said this. They're quoting me here. Not just what I said, but how I said it. And so I need to draw near and say, kids, you know what? When I do this, it's not right. When you do it, it's not right. Let's pray together that Jesus would free us both from this. Okay? Discipling has an impact. But if you're open about your struggles and your weaknesses, then you can identify them and people won't imitate you, or you can put up a block about being followed there. So Asahel is, again, he's possessed his ambition, his desire is to get Abner, is to kill Abner. He wants Abner's head. And this kind of fixation, this sort of thing where you're blind to everything else is a consummate extreme example of the destructive power of our ego. Okay? This is the power that our pride can have. Right? It can get us to the point where we are deaf. We cannot hear. Now, look, ambition by itself is not bad. Okay, Ambition is not bad. Jesus came with an ambition to save the world. Okay, Paul wanted to plant churches in every city in Asia Minor. Right? Paul wanted to preach the gospel. He had ambition To plant the gospel of Jesus all throughout the known world. So, ambition's not bad, but when it pushes you so that your ambition leads you to compromise, then God's not with your ambition anymore. Okay? When your ambition leads you away from God, your ambition makes you deaf to what you know is right, it's a wedge. It's a wedge that gets driven into your life that severs you from God or causes a crack in your relationship with God. Okay? What happens there is that when you make decisions to ignore God, to not listen to God in your life, you are cutting yourself off from Him. And when you do that, every time, every little decision that you make, and I know this because I've had times in my life where I've said, God, I don't want to think about you right now because I really want this more than I want you, but I'll be back when I'm ready to confess. That's a dangerous place to be. Because what you're doing is you are taking a steel wedge and you are driving it into the trunk of your relationship with God, and it will cause cracks, and it will ultimately split. If you're doing that right now, you need to look at Asahel just see what Asahel's doing because it drove him to foolishness. He radically overestimated his skill and he radically underestimated the skill of Abner. He had no chance against Abner, none whatsoever. Abner knew it. And what's interesting is that Asahel's deafness gets worse because he actually hardens his heart. If you look at verses 19 to 23, Abner tries to get him to let up. Three times Abner gives him an option. Three times he tells them, but, he, but Asahel is deaf to Abner's words. You see the progression. Verse 19, it says, He turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. And then verse 21. Right, Look at verse 21. Abner said, Turn aside, take one of the other men, but Asahel would not turn aside. So first it's he did not. Now it's he would not turn aside from following him. And then verse 23, but he refused to turn aside. And what we see here in this passage is a continuing, it's an increasing obstinacy. He's being stubborn, and his stubbornness is hardening his heart, and his heart is getting harder and harder and harder. He's driving that wedge in every time He refuses. Every time it's getting worse and worse, that crack is getting bigger and longer. And it's threatening to split. Our deafness, our inability to listen, hurts our gospel relationships. Okay, I've already talked about how uh, you cut yourself off from God and it drives that wedge in, but it also hurts relationships in the church, right? If you can't be approached because you're unwilling to listen, How does that affect your relationships with brothers and sisters in the family? Here at Harbor, how are you going to grow if nobody can approach you, right? When you refuse to listen, when someone comes to you and offers criticism, offers some form of help, offers a perspective that you haven't considered, right? And they're trembling because they don't know how to say it, and they're stumbling over their words, and maybe they say it the wrong way, but you're just unwilling to listen drives a wedge between you and that other person it drives a wedge and that wedge goes deeper and deeper and deeper not just in the church but then in the world right are you one of those people that always has to be right are you able to say to someone a non-christian person you know what you're right about this you know what i was wrong and i'm sorry you able to say that to your spouse Say that to someone in your family. Boy, it's hard. I think it's almost hardest with the family, isn't it? <laughs> Boy, that's a, that's a whole sermon in its own right. For Asahel, ultimately, I mean, here's, here's where it leads. His ambition ends with his death. Abner, it's interesting, too. The text is kind of, it's hard to actually know who is getting the blame for, Abner, for Asahel's death. Okay, the image is like that that Abner's running, right? And Asahel's catching up to him. And Abner's running with his spear. And the idea is Asahel's so fast, he's he's gaining on him. And Abner's warning him, warning him, warning him. And then it's like Abner stops. And you don't know if he stops and does this because he's trying to kill him or if he just stops because he really wants to turn around and say something. But either way, Asahel is so fast that when Abner stops, he impales himself. He impales himself on the back of Abner's spear. That is what will happen to you if you can't listen in your relationships. If you allow the wedge of your deafness to be driven in, that's what your life will look like. may not mean physical death, but it will mean that all your relationships have that stench of death because you're not approachable. Now, Again, our key, the call, I think, for us in this, the way to get that wedge of the deafness out, whether it's ambition or something else, it's to be open and honest about your weaknesses. To be quick to admit your faults. If you can do that, then you can listen and understand when others criticize you, when others approach you. I mean, that's the call. That's the call for us. And so Ab, uh, Asahel was deafened by his ambition. Let's look secondly at Abner. Abner was deafened by hypocrisy. It's interesting because as you read this story, you, know, you slow down and really think about it. If you're not reading carefully, Abner comes across almost like the good guy in this. You know, he, uh, he retreats instead of pursuing battle. He tries to avoid conflict with Asahel, and then he convinces Joab that we need to stop fighting here. Right? It's kind of interesting. But Abner is such a hypocrite. Right? I mean, he's such a hypocrite. You read the story, I mean, you've got to read from before, too. You know, Abner, it's like you're talking a great game, but you're the one who set up a rival king. Right? You're the one who marched your army all the way from Fresno to Oceanside. And here we are in San Diego. What are we going to expect from you? And now... You're saying this stuff? Really? Look at verse 26. He calls it Joab. Abner calls it Joab. Shall the sword devour forever? Don't you know the end of this will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? I mean, this would be exactly right, except Abner is the one who's saying this. And it's like, really? Abner, seriously? Oh, the sword. Oh, vengeance. Oh, you're such a philosopher, Abner. Like, where does this come from? All of a sudden, you're a peacemaker? How does that work? Oh, now we're brothers, Abner? Is that the deal? You just killed Joab's brother. Like, come on, really? You marched. You did this. And now you're claiming that, oh, oh, you know, vengeance is such a bad thing. Oh, the sword. bloodshed, so bad. I mean, Really? Like, this is Abner. He's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite. You can't call someone else on something when you're sitting in the middle of your sin. You just can't. I mean, come on. Like, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's easy to say. I mean, you know, when Jesus says, you know, don't. Tell somebody about the speck of dust in their eye when there's a log sticking out of yours, right? That's what Abner's doing. That's what Abner's doing. He is—he's a crazy hypocrite, you know. And then look at—you know, you can imagine, like, because Joab kind of calls him on it. We'll look at that in a little bit. But but Abner, he's like, I didn't mean to kill him. It wasn't my fault. There I was running along, and he got on the back of my spear. It wasn't me. I mean, the point with Abner is that you cannot. Play with fire and then get surprised when you're burned. That's a word for all of us. You cannot play with fire and then act like you're surprised if you get burned. When Abner chose to proclaim Ishbosheth as king, when Abner chose to march his army within striking distance of David and his army, Abner made a decision that he needs to own. I mean, you can be right and still be totally wrong. Right? Even if what Abner's saying is the correct approach, Abner is just, I mean, this is not good. <laughs> this is the height of hypocrisy. And it reminds me, um, the times in my life, when I think back over my multiple decades... You know, and I think when I've been the most righteous, the most without sin in my whole life, was sitting outside the principal's office in elementary school. There I am on a bench waiting to talk to the principal. And I can't tell you how righteous, some kind of radical transformation Perfect sanctification happened in my own life when I would walk through the door of the principal's waiting room and sit on that bench. Man, I was the most righteous person on earth. Okay, what do I mean? Well, there were on the opposite wall of the bench where I sat. I can still see this. I mean, this might be a testimony to how often I was there. might be a testimony to other things. But they used to display the artwork of the younger students in the school up on this bulletin board. And I still remember, uh, I must have been there in February, sitting in the principal's office, or sitting outside waiting to talk to the principal. And I, would rem- I remember there was this art project that I guess the kindergartners or first graders did in the school where they made elephants with hearts. See, Big elephant for the face, you know, a bunch of little elephants for the trunk, elephant e- you know, or, sorry, heart face, hearts on the trunk, heart ears. Right, you kind of get the picture. Now, these were kindergartners and first graders, and I think at this point I was probably in fourth or fifth grade. And so I'm looking at the quality of this art, and what am I thinking? This art is incredible. Like, I would think this in my head. This is the most beautiful art I've ever seen. Wow, these kids try so hard, and look at this. Like, this art is amazing. Like, it should be put up somewhere. This is honestly what I'm thinking in my head. I remember when I'd get in trouble with other people and we'd be sitting in a row on this bench waiting to talk to the principal. These people who were so less righteous than I was, they would say, look at that one, that's ugly. And I would rebuke them. How dare you? That's great art. Are you crazy? That's great. That's amazing. These kids are young. What's wrong with you? Do you know what I'm thinking in my head as I'm saying all these things? What I'm thinking is, God, do you see how I'm loving these kids and their art? This should make it go better for me in the principal's office, right? I was honestly thinking that to the place where I would rebuke my friends right, and risk looking like a complete idiot because, to me, getting in trouble was worse than their, their favor. But, I mean, that's, like, <laughs> there I am sitting, having done everything that I'm being accused of, brought to go to the principal's office and try to figure out some way to deny it, explain it away, whatever. But here I am, acting so righteous about this artwork. Do you get the picture? This is Abner. Like, this is what I was, as I was thinking about Abner, I was like, man, that was me. Crazy hypocrite. Now, I've still been a hypocrite. Okay, like th- that wasn't the only time I've been a hypocrite. I've been a hypocrite a lot. You know, and it's, it's interesting because I think we tend, our hypocrisy sort of shows up in our lives normally in the places where we need the most grace. Sometimes the stuff we struggle with, we're not very gracious to others who struggle with the stuff we struggle with. At least that's how it is for me. But the point is that you just, you can't expect, you can't, you, you can't do this. If you're a hypocrite today, you got no business calling somebody else on their stuff. You have no business because the thing that Abner doesn't do, the thing that Abner doesn't do, there's no confession in what Abner says. So even if he's right, there's no admission on Abner's part that he started this mess. Right? That's what's missing from Abner. What's missing is him saying, Joab, look, I was wrong. I started this. And I'm going to own that. You know what? This was, it was wrong for me to do this Let's try to work this out in a different way. Then, if Abner were to do that, if he were to say, look, I've sinned, I've acted foolishly, I've been an idiot here, I need, to, I, need to, I need to stop this, this is bad on my part, and then to say what he says in verse 26, you know what, this is going to start a chain reaction that's never going to end. Like Then he has some credibility, right? But without this, I mean, again, you can be right in an argument but still not right with God. I mean, that's the point. You can be right in an argument, but still not right with God. When you let your own hypocrisy blind your eyes, deafen your ears so that you can't hear, each self-justifying act drives the wedge deeper and deeper in your relationships, and it causes splits. It causes splits. If you are deafened by your hypocrisy because you can't admit, you can't see your faults, your relationships are doomed to split. I mean, the answer to this really is, is to not act better than you are, right? You need to commit to listening. If somebody comes up to you and has some issue, if your spouse comes to you, a friend comes to you, or just anybody comes, like make it your first goal to listen and understand before you respond. Make sure you get it. Make sure you really understand what they're saying before you respond. That's how you keep that wedge from driving in. That's how you get the wedge out. And, and maybe it's as simple. It could be that you're so far gone that nobody approaches you anymore. And if that's the case, or even if it's not, here's another thing that would be helpful to do to make sure this doesn't happen for you in your life would be to go to the people that you know, love, and trust and say, is there anything in my life that if I were approachable, you would talk to me about? Okay, is there anything in my life that if I were approachable, you would feel you would want to come and talk to me about? If our church put that into practice, boy, our relationships would go deep. They'd be real. They'd be authentic. We'd crow. We'd be able to listen to the Lord. I mean, this is why we confess our sins every week. It's to try to help us get used to it. You know, you're admitting your sin. You're, you're admitting your sinfulness in front of everybody here. Every Sunday when we when we when we worship, we do that so that it can set the tone for your relationships and the rest of your life. That's why we do it. Galatians six one says this: Brothers, sisters, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's just that balance, right? The humility and the need to you know to confront, right? Just be careful. And when you model being able to listen, it makes others more willing to listen to you. So that's Abner, deafened by his hypocrisy. Our third point is, uh, is Joab. Joab, who's deafened by his anger. And Joab's doubly deafened, right? He's got both ears. He's got a problem. He's got a wedge in both ears if we want to mess with the metaphors. Uh, he already wanted Abner dead, right? He already attacked. He already moved. He already attacked. But now... He's got his little brother that he wants to avenge. You know, I mean, that's like pouring fuel on the fire. And so Joab is stuck because he's the one who authorized the pursuit of Abner, right? It was his idea to move on Abner. It was his idea to attack. It was his idea to chase. He didn't read the signs from God. Remember from last week, God was clearly saying when Israel fights Israel, everyone loses. Joab didn't listen to that. Instead, he pursues. He keeps running after Abner. And now he's got his own brother killed. So, on top of this, he's got guilt. I was the one who authorized this pursuit. I was the one who chased after Abner, and now it's my fault. And when you add guilt on top of vengeance on your anger, boy, this is an explosion. And he shows his deafness. Look at his response to Abner in verse 27. As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. It's interesting the way this is translated. You could also really translate this in a way where Joab is calling Abner on his hypocrisy. And what he's saying is, look, if you hadn't brought the whole idea up about a tournament this morning, we wouldn't be in this mess. And so he's lashing out at Abner. He's saying, look, don't put this on me. It's on you. Okay, that's what he's saying in verse 27. And so what do you have? You've got Joab and Abner. Now they're yelling at each other again, right? Early in the morning they were talking. Now they're yelling. Who's right? Good, that's right. You got it. Neither one of them, right? They're both right. They're both wrong. And they're both, they both have these wedges being driven into their relationship with God that affects their relationships in the church, that affects their relationships in the world with each other. But then the miracle happens. Then there is a miracle of grace that comes out of nowhere. After yelling at Abner words that would justify an attack, Joab calls off the pursuit. Joab calls off the pursuit. Verse 28, Joab blew the trumpet and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. What happened? What happened is that Joab listened. Joab actually listened. Even though he responded by yelling back at Abner, even though he, he, he recoiled and he wanted to put Abner in his place, he listens and is convicted by Abner's words. Th- this happens to me, <laughs> right? You get confronted, you get frustrated, you get defensive, you react, and then you go back, and when you're by yourself, you realize ooh, I didn't handle that well. Dang, I wish I handled that better. Uh, All right, I got to go back and, and make this right. That's what happens for Joab. Right, he doesn't go back to Abner. He doesn't seem to have another conversation. But Joab is able to hear God speaking to him even through unbelieving Abner. He's able to listen And he hears, it's possible that in Abner's words, he heard the voice of his king, David. He thought about how David responded to the Jabesh Gileadites. He thought about the way that David responded to Saul during the years when Saul was chasing after him. And he listened. And this is a really good picture of repentance, what we see here. You know, he wanted Abner dead, he wanted to fight, he pursues it with all his heart. But then he stops and he returns. And this is the difference that grace makes. This is the difference between Asahel and Joab, right? Asahel couldn't let go, but Joab could. That's how the gospel works in our lives. I mean, it's interesting, too, because once Joab turns and leaves, great picture, again, of repentance, pursuing after one thing, stopping, turning around, and going back the way he should. When he returns, he finds that uh, they actually won the battle decisively. Well, Verse 30 says that David's servants lost 20 people, 19 plus Asahel, but the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin, 360 of Abner's men. That's a 20 to 1 margin. That's a pretty good victory. That's a good victory. And so Joab realizes he won decisively. And then in verse 32, day breaks upon Joab in Hebron. This is the author's way of saying that for Joab, there's a new start. That God and the Son are smiling down upon him. That he's got another chance to start fresh. He's got a new start, a new life, and a new way forward. I mean, that's the call for us. Right? The call for us is that we need to be like Joab and struggle as we might. I mean, I love the fact that Joab wasn't perfect in this passage. Right? That connects with me, because I'm not perfect, and it's hard to respond the right way immediately. Uh, by God's grace, we want to aim for that. By God's grace, we want to get to that place. But in the meantime, Joab offers us grace. He offers us a new start, a new life, and a way forward. Right? That's true for us, too. And that's what brings us to Jesus. Because if we want the sun to rise in our lives, You know, we don't think about the S-U-N, we think about the S-O-N, right? Jesus is the sun rising. He is our new start when we're failing. If you have been like Asahel or Abner or Joab, if you've been deaf because of ambition, because of hypocrisy, because of your anger, Jesus offers you a fresh start. He's the one who can actually take the wedges out and repair the cracks. Jesus can actually repair the splits in our trees, in our relational trees. That's what he does. And he can do this because he himself was nailed to a tree. Jesus can do this because he himself was split for us. His body was driven into a tree. He was cursed and hung upon a cross so that if you can hear Him today telling you that you need to listen and stop hardening your heart, if you can hear Him calling you today, saying, if it's your entire life that's being lived in a direction that's not with Him, or if it's one part of your life, right, Christian and non, Both Asahel and Abner have the same chance to listen, but they don't. But if you can hear Jesus calling you to repent and to follow him, then you can have a fresh start. He will wash you clean, and he will himself come and live in you to give you the power of God to grow in your relationships, to take out the wedges and to heal the cracks, to put the splits back together. That's what he does. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we look at our lives, and if we're honest, our lives, our relationships have splits and cracks. And we have let the deafness in our own hearts be wedges that have severed us from you, have severed us from each other and folks in the world. Would you please forgive us? Help us to see that we become whole as we embrace you who is broken for us. Draw us back to yourself. And Jesus, give us the strength that we need. Thank you that it's your grace that gives us the freedom to be honest. And it's your power that helps us to listen. For those who don't know you, Jesus, would you touch them and help them to see that you were split so that they could be reconciled back to God? And we will love you this week, and we will seek out this week relationships that need to be healed and mended. And we commit to you, to walking in gospel honesty. In your name, amen.